So look, we've had an interesting few weeks. I don't know how many uh, of you were glued to the telly watching uh, the, the Queen's funeral. Um, Janita and I, I, th- I think, pretty much watched it all day. We couldn't sort of keep our eyes off it, really. I expect you were the same, or at least caught up on the highlights later. And uh, one of the things that just, uh, I don't know if you heard it this week, uh, the stats came out of how many people watched it. And I was quite impressed. I think it was 37.5 million people, they reckon, at its peak watched the Queen's funeral. And here's the thing, right? So I was super encouraged by that because when you think about it, at the centre of what we did at a day of you know, major history in this nation, uh, a red-letter day, if you like, a significant landmark, or whatever you like to call it, in our history, the history of this nation, what did 37.5 million, or maybe the whole lot, uh, do on that day? We went to church. We, we went to church. As a nation, we went to church. In fact, we went live stream. James, where are you? You know, live stream is the way to go. Like, we were live streamed, went to church. That's obviously the thing. Um, but look, wasn't that fantastic that we, as a, as a, as a nation, at a time of, once it's national gathering, national identity, uh, um, you know, a day that's kind of going to be marked in history, we, as a nation, went to church. And, and we went to a, a good service in the sense of, I don't know if you heard Justin Welby's message, quite evangelistic, you know. I know there was a bit, some weird stuff. There was some slightly dodgy tunes with the Psalms and everything else. And I did struggle a bit with, and I wrote it down, uh, with uh, Liz Trust saying, and whither I go, ye knowest, and the way you know, uh, whitherest thou goest. And I thought to myself, why are we talking? I mean, literally, you probably heard it. Um, and I know that's, you know, traditional and everything else. But did that, that did rub me up the wrong way a bit at the time of that we should use this medieval English, but it is what it is, right? But that's the encouraging thing, that as, as a, at a day of that sort of national identity, national identity, we went to church together. And it's important to be reminded of that because many commentators would say we're now in what's called a post-Christian culture, post-Christian society. That is a society that has once been Christian and appreciated some of the claims of Christian faith but has chosen in one sense to reject that and to, to move on. Um, and that's very sad, but it's very true about our nation. We, we would all comment and, and, and know on that, I'm sure. Um, and there was this, the, some of the surveys here are quite depressing. I, I'm sure you, you've read them, but I read one this week. Uh, this was by uh, um, a collaboration between Alpha, Evangelical Alliance, Hope Together, Louis Palau, number of organizations, and they surveyed the nation. They said, how many of you would uh, uh, define yourself as Christians? And I think the first time I've seen this, less than half the nation now define themselves as Christian. 48% of this nation define themselves as Christians. And, and that's just on paper in one sense, because only 6% define themselves as practicing Christians. So given the, the context of that, given the times that we're now in, in this post-Christian culture, this post-Christian society, how do we continue to communicate the message of Jesus into that context? How do we make sure that we remain a people who are able to speak into that kind of society? Because you'll know that often now uh, Christian thought and morality and wisdom sometimes is considered 
Perhaps once it would be considered central to our society, it's now considered sometimes a fringe point of view, where, where when people uh, in the church speak up about moral issues in our nation, sometimes that can be defined as bigoted or biased or prejudiced against a particular group of individuals. So how do we communicate the, the message of Christ, the, the good news of Jesus, into that society, into that culture? Well, thank heavens we have an example in God's Word. And much as the nation has changed, much as this, the surrounding culture has changed, our mission hasn't changed, praise God. And arguably now, our mission now is more important than it once was. And the way I believe that we are exampled in Scripture is to take the message with grace and truth. That's how Jesus took the message. Let me uh, go to a bit of Scripture with you. John chapter 1. In fact, if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, keep your digital thumb or your physical thumb in John because we're looking a lot at John's Gospel this morning. And I want to read you... Uh, a little part of John's opening discourse about Jesus and him coming as the Word, as John calls him, if you know your, your, your text there in John chapter 1. And John says this in verse 14 of John 1. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, and here it is, who came from the Father, note, full of grace and truth. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if Jesus came full of grace and truth, we need to go full of grace and truth. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. What does that mean to be both full of grace and truth? But before we get into that, let's just look at the word full for a couple of seconds. Because John is painting a picture here, an image here of what Jesus was like. And, and the, the picture he's painting of a, of a glass, a glass of water or uh, something else uh, that's absolutely full to the point of overflowing. So that when you jiggle the glass or knock the glass, the water spills out all around. And that's what Jesus was like, John saying. He was so full of grace and truth. If you interacted with him, if you came alongside him, if you nudged up next to him, what spilled out to those around was grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. And why is this important to be both full of grace and truth? And truth. And I'm going to use this phrase quite a lot. It's because grace saves, but it's the truth that sets us free. But grace saves, it's the truth that sets us free. That's why we need to be full of grace and truth. And where do we get that from? Let's have a look at Ephesians now, up on the screen. Um, but it's, again, if you want to turn to your own Bibles. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8. This is the famous verse about grace in the New Testament. For it is by grace you've been saved. And I, as I was studying, I thought, yeah, it's not by truth, is it? It's by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. By grace you've been saved. Not through knowledge, but by grace you've been saved. And flip back to your digital thumb in John 8, and we'll look at that truth. Where do we get that line about truth? 
And again, a famous part of God's Word uh, we'll read together. Uh, John 8, verses 31, 32. Again, it'll come up on the screen, hopefully. Uh, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And here it is. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth, note, will set you free. Free. Grace saves, but it's the truth that sets us free. So grace and truth are really important. So do we understand what grace and truth are? What's grace? It's the undeserved merit and favor of God. It's the the gift that we don't deserve. It's the story of the prodigal son with the father who welcomed back the child who'd wasted the family wealth. It's undeserved forgiveness. It's unreserved love. It's the unbridled forgiveness of God. That is great. It's giving you what you don't deserve. And when Paul says it's the gift of God, let's not misunderstand what grace is, because sometimes I think we think it's just a gift. Let me illustrate. If you are struggling financially and you came to me and said, you know, I need 10 pounds and I gave you that 10 pounds, that would be a gift. But if you were maybe not struggling financially and you came to me and stole 10 pounds from me, And instead of reporting you to the police or whatever, uh, I said, well, you can keep it because, you know, you obviously need it. That's grace. That's grace. It's giving you what you don't deserve rather than what you do deserve. That's what grace is. It's the unmerited favor of God. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God gives it out of grace. And what's truth? Do we really understand what truth is? Well, truth is the Word of God. It's the the inspired breath of God breathing into God's Word and into into His church. It's life-giving. It's love in action for each one of us. It's forgiveness. It's salvation. It's freedom. And here's the thing. The truth wasn't given as a set of rules to you. It wasn't given a set of rules for you to obey. That's not what truth is. Truth wasn't given to you to break your back, but to break the chains. It's there to set you free. It's there to set me free. It's God's plan, God's action plan for hope for this world, of hope for this world. That's grace. That's truth. So it's grace and truth. It's never grace or truth. And you might have heard that this morning we're calling this where Christians or the church gets it wrong. And I think where we do get it wrong is that we focus sometimes as grace or truth like they're two different things or two extremes of the the spectrum. That's not not what the model of Jesus is. We're, We're called to go full of grace and truth, not grace or truth. We can't focus on one or the other because truth without grace is a problem. It looks cold, it's hard-nosed, it's unforgiving, it lacks any mercy. It's never received mercy, it doesn't know how to show mercy. It's all full of rules, not 
relationship. That's truth without grace. But grace without truth can be equally problematic because it has no direction. It has no sense of calling or destiny. It's no lamp for our feet or light for our path. It lacks hope. It lacks a future. It lacks a calling. It's never, it never truly sets us free. Grace without truth. Famous speaker on grace is Joseph Prince. So some of you will know him and see him on the God Channel or uh, CBN or whatever it is. And he says this. Some people tell, and he speaks a lot about grace. And I think we've got the quote on the screen, hopefully. Some people tell me, well, it's good that you preach grace, but we also have to tell the people about the truth. This makes it seem as though grace and truth are two different things, when in fact they're one and the same. You can't separate truth from grace and grace from truth. They are both embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. They are both embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came together through the person and ministry of Jesus. We need both grace and truth. Why? Because grace saves and the truth sets us free. So I want to take you to a part of Scripture now where I think that's the best illustration of that in the life and teaching and actions of Jesus recorded. So again, um, if you've got John uh, still with your thumb... (laughs) Have a look at John chapter 8 now. And again, this is going to come up on the screen. I always say to folks, there is Bibles in the rows in front if you want to, uh, to use those. And if you haven't got one, uh, take one of those home with you. So we're going to read from John 8. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because it's a really fantastic, um, I think, uh, just the way that uh, the writers have laid this out in this particular translation. So let's, again, quite a famous passage. I hope you, some of you will know this. Uh, And we'll go through it in God's word together. John 8 verse 1 says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early next morning he was back again at the temple. A A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Note that. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stood down and stooped down, sorry, and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she says. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I'm just going to read verse 12 as well. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. 
fantastic portion of God's Word, and a great illustration of grace and truth combined together. Let me try and unpack this precious piece of God's Word for you, if I may. The, the scene is this, that Jesus, and, I, and I maybe I think as I studied, I thought, I thought that Jesus was alone with this woman. You know, that was kind of the, the picture. But John makes it clear there's a crowd. So, the, so Jesus goes into the temple and a crowd gathers around him. And this probably was a pretty normal thing in the life of Jesus' ministry where he sat down like a, a rabbi of the day would have done. And I suspect the others would have sat down. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be standing here. I should be sitting down. Is that right? So I'm teaching. But that's what Jesus did. He sat down to teach. And I'm sure the others sat down as well. And what was a fairly probably normal discourse, I'm sure, was suddenly interrupted by a mob, uh, a gang of these uh, scribes and Pharisees dragging this poor woman into this very peaceful scene. And you'll notice they make her stand in front of the sat-down crowd. I mean, how dreadful, how embarrassing would this have been? This woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, last I looked, it might needed to have been two of them (laughs) in the nicest possible way. Where was the bloke? Where was the fella? No, 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 no. They just dragged the woman in, okay? They just dragged the woman in. And they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And what was their motive? John says, they weren't interested in justice. They weren't interested in, in doing the right thing. They, they were interested in setting a trap for Jesus, something to accuse him. And that word accuse, and it particularly highlighted in New Living Translation, is played out all the way through the story. In fact, it's the same word that John uses later about the devil. He was the accuser of the brethren, if you remember that kind of line. But that's the word accuse that, that's used here. So they were trying to accuse, to pin something on Jesus. That was their motive. Nothing to do with the justice. And they said, what, what do you say? What, what should we do? Moses said we should stone her. What do you think, Jesus? He could have said a whole bunch of things, right? Where's the bloke, he could have said. Let's start with that. And hang on a bit. You're talking about the law of Moses here. Come a little closer. Have a look at Leviticus 20 with me. And it says, the fella is taken. And, and should be put to death, as well as the woman, admittedly, but it's about the guy, if you read from a Levit- Leviticus, right? But he didn't say that. And instead, we have this rather strange thing, you know the story, he bends down and he writes in the dust. So what did he write? Nobody knows. <laughs> okay. So, a waste of time me speculating here. But something was going on that Jesus was sending a message to the accusers that he knew more than he was letting on. You know, notice that? And they push him, they they prod him, they poke him, come on, come on, what, what should we do? And he says this, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. And I suspect something that he wrote down was starting to make them feel a little uncomfortable about what he knew about them that they weren't letting on. And you'll notice as the the picture continues, the story continues, that one by one, and very in a very targeted way, it seems, Jesus picks them off one by one, from the oldest to the youngest. You notice that? Clever little thing that Jesus says, I know, I know what you're like. I know what you're really like. Let me just say, you know, Right, right away in the, right away in the sand. 
And one by one, they all go. They all slope off. And we get this beautiful scene right at the very end. I just love this bit. When Jesus looks up, he says, oh, they've all gone. (laughs) Where are your accusers, you'll notice? Where are those that are trying to throw mud at you? He says, didn't one of them condemn you? In other words, didn't any of them win the case, the trial, this mock kind of kangaroo court? Has anybody won the battle to condemn you here? That word accuse was never meant to be a positive thing. Where are those who are trying to stick mud in your direction? And the only words that we've got recorded from this, this dear woman is, no, Lord, she says, no. And Jesus says, well, neither do I. Grace. Buckets and buckets and buckets of grace. Grace in truckloads. Grace, grace, grace. The unmerited favour of God. The undeserved favour of God. But also this. But go and sin no more. Truth. Truth. Jesus might have said to her, this life's going to kill you one day. Literally. I, I might not be around the next time this happens. Go and sin no more. Go, go, get away from this life. If you want to be free, get away from this life. Because it's grace that saves and it's truth that sets us free. You're a slave to sin. Later in John's, John 8, Jesus says, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. You've become a slave to this life. And I'm calling you to be free. Be free. Because it's grace that saves. And it's truth that sets us free. And Jesus goes on to say this. And, and I, we don't link this. I've never linked these two, um, verse 12 with the other, the other verses. But I think it's, it's there in deliberate order in John's Gospel. And Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. If you follow me, this light will light your life up. You won't have to walk in darkness. You'll have the light that leads to life. Something within you that will keep you on the right path. It's grace that saves, but it's the truth that sets us free. And that's what church, I believe the Lord is calling us to be full. If Jesus went full of grace and truth, we have to go full of grace and truth. And where we've got it wrong, I'm not saying necessarily here, but other churches in the past, is we've been full of, sometimes full of truth, not much full of grace, or full of grace, not much full of truth. But Jesus came full of grace and truth. Let me tell you a story from my childhood. Uh, I was part of a fairly uh, traditional church, I guess, uh, an evangelical church, but, but fairly old-fashioned, fairly old school. And, and I was, I don't know how old I was when this thing happened, but I was only a kid, right? And uh, it, it stuck with me all my life. And there was a girl in the youth group who slept with a boyfriend and got pregnant, And I remember one Sunday morning, her being paraded in front of the church. And I'm ashamed to 
to say, you know, it, it was a dreadful thing. And basically, she was publicly humiliated and thrown out of the church. She was, you know, saying, we don't, you know, you've been banned, you've been thrown out, kind of thing. And as I look, and I was a child, right? Uh, and as I look back on that now, I am ashamed of that. I am appalled by that. Where was grace in that? Where was the grace? Did they never read John 8? I was thinking to myself when I was studying. Where, where's the grace? Plenty of truth. Where was the grace? It was never meant to be like that. That's, 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 we were never meant to take the message, of, the hopeful message of Jesus like that. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And that poor girl, publicly humiliated. And as far as I recall, I don't think she ever came in that building ever again. I, in fact, I don't know where she ever went to church ever again. I don't know, don't know lost touch. It's grace that saves, but it's the truth that sets us free. And, and, and I tell you what that told me. That, and, and I was, I don't know how I was. I must have been eight, seven, eight, right? But I do remember it. And it said to me, this is about that old church. It said, if you behave, you belong. If you behave, you belong. But if you stop behaving, you, you don't belong anymore. That's not who we are. That's not who we are here. Absolutely not who we are. You don't have to behave to belong here. This is a home for the broken. This is a home for the hurt. This is the home for those who've never got it right. But if you belong, we hope you believe. And if you believe, you'll be set free. It's grace that saves, but it's the truth that sets us free. The word became flesh. I love the message, if you've read the message on this one. The, the, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> Peterson says, great. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. And what was his glory? The one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 